two men were sitting in the pub having a pint and one of them began to get a little bit spiritual, which was unusual. And his friends looked at he said, what's up with you? He says, oh, it was a church on Sunday. And, uh, you know, me and God were okay, you know. I, I know I've got my place in heaven. And he, he was trying to act quite spiritual and his friend was having none of it. He said, look, don't, who are you trying to kid? He says, in fact, you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. And his friend said, of course I know the Lord's Prayer. He said, no, you do not. He says, of course I know the Lord's Prayer. He says, I bet you 10 pounds right now you can't say the Lord's Prayer. His friend said, I'll take that bet. He said, right, go ahead. He said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And his friend went, ha, 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 here's your 10 pounds. I didn't think you'd know that. A lot of people think they know the Lord's Prayer, and yet we're discovering there's so much, so much more to it than we had realized. So far, we've looked at our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. I'm not going to go over it all. If you weren't here over the last few weeks, you can find those online. But what I, I want to do is to point out that so far it has all been about God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's all been about God. But here we have a bit of a turn. Here we have, if you like, a hinge and it begins to, to change. It's been very uh, heavenly, very uh, kind of out there. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's been, been all about uh, just uh, heaven and, and God and, and, and the, 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 um, the transcendence of God. And now it starts to move to being more personal about us. It moves from the lofty and the big and the spiritual to the very personal, the very ordinary, the very basic and most mundane things of everyday life. We're going to look at one line today. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And as we come to look at this line, I think the first thing we need to acknowledge is how ridiculous it is for us to pray this in 2019 in Northern Ireland. Give us this day our daily bread. For most of us, our prayers are this. Lord, give me the self-control and discipline to start eating less. Isn't it? Lord, please help me lose five pounds before I go to Lanzarote. Lord, please help me to keep within my points of of Weight Watchers today. Lord, please give me the discipline not to keep eating more. Like, it's, like most of us, our problem is not getting our daily bread. Our problem is opening our freezers because there's so much packed into them. And our fridge is full of stuff that if you were to go to the back, you would find things growing that are almost alive at this stage. They're so out of date. That is our problem. Like it's not that we don't have enough. It's that we struggle not to eat too much. We, I, it was Elijah's birthday last week, and you know those goodie bags you do? I'd bought a box of celebrations, but we'd also, it's too much stuff, so we had still the box of celebrations closed until last night. Uh, and then I opened it. Um, you know what I hear about those things? The wrappers give you away. You know what I mean? You don't think you've eaten too many, and then there's just like all this litter around you, and you're like, where did, you know? And I tried to stuff them into my pockets before Becky could see them. Um, but but my pocket was out to here with, with robbers. Our problem is not that we are worried about not having our daily bread. Our problem is actually that we have so much. 
in our cupboards and in our fridges and in our freezers and in our stomachs. It's not, I don't have enough food to survive. It's, I can't survive without coffee and chocolate. Some of you are going to give me a good amen there. Um, it's, you know, you never go into a bookshop or a library and see books on how to survive starvation. But there's a lot of dad books out there. There's the Atkins. There's the blood type diet. There's the eat whatever you want diet. That's the one I'm on at the minute. And it's, it's working. But, but, you know, so is it really realistic for us to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Or do we just need to cut out that line? We need to go back 2,000 years ago to those who were first hearing this prayer. To those who were first hearing Jesus' word and words and the, the world they lived in. And then we want to think about how it applies to today. But let's break it down. First two words. Give us. Give us. Sounds a little bit rude. Give us. We had a party for Elijah on Monday across in the trampoline place and with food and with pizza and with juice. And, and there were 15, seven, six and seven year olds there. And give me was the most common phrase I heard. Give me a bit of pizza. Give me some bread juice. Give me some uh, chocolate cake. Give me, give me. And every time they would do that, I would go, give me. And they would go, juice. <laughs> and I would go, no, give me. And they'd be, red juice. No, give me, and they would, oh, and I'd go, pa, 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 and they'd go, please, and I'd go, no problem at all, and, 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 and because we, we teach our kids manners, where's the manners here, give me my daily bread, give us our daily bread, not please, not please may I have, it sounds rude, it sounds quite demanding, and it would be if it was on its own, if this was the, where the prayer started. Give, me this, give us the stare daily bread. This would be rude and this would be quite demanding, but in the context of everything that has gone before, it isn't. Because in the context of everything, here we, here we come to God and we say, Our Father, you're my Father, you're my Abba, you're my Papa, you love me. You're in heaven, you're enthroned, you're exalted. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. We want your name to be honored. We want your name to be revered. We want people to understand your nature and your character. Your kingdom come. Lord, may your rule and reign come on earth. May your will be done in my life. May your will be done here. May your will be done in our world. And may I be somebody in whom you rule and reign. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a completely different thing because we've already postured and positioned ourselves in a place of humility and honor before God. We've already bowed the knee and actually acknowledged to him that we're not being selfish, that we're not being rude, that we're not being ignorant, that we're actually bowing the knee and we're coming before our Father and we're saying, God, here are my needs right now. And so we can be clear. And we can be direct with our Heavenly Father when we pray. We don't need to faff around. We don't need to... You know those people, we all, we all know those people who take a thousand words to say something you can say in ten. You know those ones where you say to them, what did you have for lunch yesterday? And they go, well, you know, I went over to Lurgan and, you know, I took the back road. And I was going to take the main road. To, but I took the back road. And I passed Sheila's house. You know Sheila with the Vargas veins. I passed her. And I, you know her husband, Derek. I, he, he hasn't been so well. And you're like, 
like 14 hours later, you find out what you had for lunch. And you're thinking, I just wanted to know what, you know. And, and, and God, like, and God sometimes is saying, just get to the point, okay? You don't need to convince me. Like I've joked about it before. Sometimes it's like we're trying to manipulate or convince God. Oh, Lord, you know poor Deirdre. Poor Deirdre's never done a bad thing in her life, Lord. And those old bunions on her feet, Lord, you know. Like, like, it's like God's going, okay. You've just given me enough good points. Those bunions are gone. You know, like that is not the way we don't need to manipulate him. We don't need to cajole him. We don't need to twist his arm. We're coming to our Father. Be clear, be direct, be honest, and be specific. Remember, Jesus taught us how not to pray. Don't babble like pagans who think they'll be heard because of their many words. Be clear, be direct, be honest, be specific. And Jesus is teaching us here, It's okay to ask God for things. Give us. It's okay for you to ask God to meet your needs. Ask us. Jesus teaches us that God wants to provide things. He wants you to ask him. He is our father. He is God. And so asking is a sign of dependence and trust. Because we wouldn't ask somebody for something unless we thought they could provide it. I heard somebody say once, you know, if I had 10 minutes to pray, I would spend nine of them praising God. And I felt really convicted and guilty by that. Because if I have 10 minutes to pray, I'll spend probably one or two of them probably praising God and the other eight asking. Just being really honest here. Because we all have real needs and we all have real problems and we all have areas of breakthrough that we need and we all have things that we want God to change in our lives and we all have family members who are sick and we all have things that we need God to intervene in and so we don't want to be hyper-spiritual. We want to come before God and be real and be honest and yes, worship him and acknowledge him as Lord which we're taught to do in the Lord's Prayer that it starts with worship, it starts with hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, it starts with declaring who he is but then we can just be real because he's our dad he's our father look at what Jesus said about asking he says ask and it will be given you seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened which of you if your son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a, st- a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give to those who ask him? John 15. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Then further down the passage, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Then James 4 verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask God. And then First John, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. This is the confidence further down. We have an approach in God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. And Ephesians 3.20, he is able to do abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. Now, I went to Clowney, but I can figure out there's a common pattern to what's in the Bible here. We are supposed to ask God, there's nothing wrong with asking him. The Bible makes it very clear that it's right and proper for his children to ask our Heavenly Father for things. Now, I know what some of you are immediately thinking. Are you saying, I can ask God for anything? Can I ask for a Rolls Royce? Can I ask for a million pounds? 
Or are you teaching selfishness and greed, Cooney? Are you one of those prosperity preachers? Are you treating God like a genie, only with unlimited wishes instead of just three? Let me address some of those concerns. First, let's get back to the context of the prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, but your will. Before we ask for anything, we have already said, God, your will first. Before I ask you for anything, Father, I want you to know that I'm going to ask here, but your will comes first. And I submit and I surrender to your will. And so no matter what the answer to me asking is, Lord, your will be done. That's what I want. Not what I want, but what you want. And we're positioning ourselves in humility under God's sovereignty and authority. That is the basis of our prayers. That no matter what, Lord, your will be done. He is my father. And in case you hadn't noticed, kids ask their parents for stuff all the time. Don't they? Like they never stop asking. Like they just, I I decided to Google this this morning actually. I mean, nobody tells you this. Kids are expensive. In fact, I actually decided to Google cost of raising a child in the UK. Okay, this morning I did this. This is true. Cost of raising a child from zero to 18. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Nikki and Andrew, who's just brought their newborn. Uh, the cost of raising a child from, 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 from zero to 18. And that's excluding houses and healthcare, housing and healthcare. You know how much it is to raise a child from zero to 18 right now? £75,233 on average. I know, I, I want to be specific. 75000 if you have two or three of them, why do you think we have only one? Like, that's a big mansion. You could, like, see, next time they're being cheeky, turn to them and go, You cost me £75,233, so just pipe down, okay? Unless you want to pay it back. Sorry, I had to get that off my chest. Our Father. Who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the next thing. Give us our, not give me mine. We've already seen throughout this prayer that it's never me, myself, and I. It's always us. And the whole prayer reminds us that we are interconnected. That when I'm praying, God, give me my daily bread, I'm also praying, God, will you provide for those around me? It's not just about my selfish desires, but it's like saying, God, will you give us our daily bread? Will you give my brothers and sisters in Christ their daily bread? Whether they're the brothers and sisters in Christ in Hope Church or the brothers and sisters in Christ in China or in Africa or South America or India or wherever they are, Lord God, will you provide for your people? Will you meet the needs of your people? Now the most obvious part, give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. Daily bread. Not give me this day a fillet steak. Or give me this day the new iPhone 11 Pro Max and Matte Black 512 gigabytes. Or give me the latest model 
BMW or Merc. Or give me a mansion, or give me a trip to Hawaii, or give me a six-pack, or give me a size four-figure. It's give us this day our daily bread. Back 2,000 years ago when Jesus taught this, bread was the most staple food they had. It was the most basic food. They had bread with basically every meal. You might dip it in something, you might put something on it, but bread basically was the the foundational, the staple food that they had with every meal. So as long as you had daily bread, you could survive. That's all you, if you had anything else that was great, but if you had daily bread, you had enough to survive. You had what you needed. So when we're praying for our daily bread, this is what we're praying. Give me everything I need to get through today. Give me what I need for today. Will you meet my physical needs today? But I would take this a step further. And I believe when you're saying, God, would you give us our daily bread? What you're doing is you're asking God to give you what you need physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually for today. Because even Jesus himself said, man does not live by bread alone. Even Jesus recognized that there is, we have other needs in our lives apart from just physical needs that God wants to meet. To be human is to have needs. We have needs for food and shelter, for love and relationships and friendships, purpose and meaning in life, to feel safe and secure and protected. And Jesus is saying, ask God to meet those needs. What's your needs today? Patience. Maybe, maybe that's your thing and work at the minute. That co-worker who's just getting on your last nerve. Lord, give me patience for today. Lord, just give me enough patience not to say what I want to say. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's you're struggling with anxiety and stress. God, just give me peace today. Lord, would you, this, this, this turmoil in my stomach, this stress... Lord, would you give me peace today? Lord, would you give me wisdom? I have a decision to make today. Lord, would you give me wisdom today? Lord, I need a job. Would you give me a job? Lord, would, would, would you give me uh, enough petrol to get me to work today? Ask him. He's your father. He loves you. Ask him. And I know sometimes we think, well, hasn't he bigger things to worry about? I mean, he's got this thing with Iran at the minute and the oil tankers. and He's got Brexit, which he's going to be worrying about for a while by the looks of things. He's got world hunger. So how can I bring my, like, my needs are so silly and ridiculous. And, and yet Jesus teaches us to bring our most basic needs. And my theory is this. If I can't trust him with the little things, how can I trust him with the big things? In any relationship you have, if you can't trust somebody with the small things, you cannot trust them with the big things. And it's exactly the same with God. And I want to say this to you. If it matters to you, it matters to him. Some of you need to hear that. Because you think God doesn't care about this or this is not spiritual enough. There is nothing my little boy brings to me that doesn't matter to me. Because if it matters to him, it matters to me. And if he feels it, I feel it. When we were living up on the North Coast, Becky started a a, a morning small group for women, teaching about prayer. 
and it ran over one term and there was about 10 or 12 women in the group. And very early on it became clear that there was a common issue that the women wanted to pray about. Eight out of the 10 women had children who were wet in the bed. I'm not talking about like babies, I'm not talking about toddlers. I'm talking about nine and ten year olds, eight, nine, ten year olds who still were wet in the bed. And it was just this bizarre thing that in this group of ten women, eight of them had this problem with their children and they tried everything and and nothing had worked. And so they decided, right, this is the thing we're gonna focus on for this term. And they began to pray for every child individually that they would stop. Within two months seven of those eight children had completely stopped wetting the bed and one of them was doing it much less frequently. God cares about children wetting the bed. Like, such a simple thing. But it's such a beautiful picture that if it matters to you, it matters to him. He's your father. He cares about you. And so if it's important to you, it's important to him. So the next question that arises in my mind is this. Well, can I only pray for necessities? Because it says, give, me, give us this day our daily bread, which is the most basic thing. Am I only allowed to pray for the most basic things in life that I need to survive? Well, when you think about it, you can split the stuff of life into three categories. Needs, okay, which is our daily bread. Needs are the necessities we can't live without, okay? So that's our needs. We just, we can't live without them. Then there's comforts. You can live without them, but they make life better. They make life more comfortable. So maybe a comfortable bed that you don't wake up every morning with a sore back. Maybe a new outfit. Maybe a garden for your kids to play in. Maybe a house with a bedroom for every child because the kids are getting older now and sharing a room's getting awkward. Maybe enough money for a night out. Whatever that is. Maybe a second car could be a comfort. It's not a necessity, but you're finding in your family that one car isn't working anymore and you need an extra one. That's not a necessity, but it would make life easier. And then there's luxuries. A trip to Disneyland is a luxury. A second house on the north coast by the sea is a luxury. The latest fashion Maybe a third car when your child reaches 17. That's not a necessity, but it might be a luxury. The new iPhone 11 Max Pro Space Gray 512 gigabyte. That's, some would say it's a necessity. I don't know. I'll leave that. But is it greedy to ask God for more than your basic needs? Let's go with a human analogy. God is our Father. He loves us. He only wants what's best for us, okay? Yesterday morning, my little boy came in to my study and he said, Daddy, can I have breakfast? What's that? Is it a luxury? Is it a comfort or is it a necessity? Yeah. So it was an immediate, yes, you can have breakfast. Okay? That wasn't something that I needed to stress about. The little boy needed fed. He had breakfast. Okay? So there was no issue there. What about this? A few weeks ago, Kate comes home with a thing from school. Daddy, can I do football after school on the Monday, it's four pounds a week. Is it a necessity? No. Is it a luxury? Not really. But is it somewhere in between? We want him to exercise. We want him to be out with his friends. 
So it's, it's kind of in between. It's not a luxury. It's not a necessity. So we, we thought and we went, will you go every week if we pay this? And yes, I will. Okay, you can do it. Okay, I'm just I'm trying to get you to think, think through this here, okay? What about, and here's, here's a few things recently as well. Uh, can I have a new bike? Now, technically, he had a bike, which was a bit small and had flat tires, and he didn't go on that much, but he wanted a new bike. Is it a bad thing to have a bike? No. Is it a necessity? No. Is it a luxury? Not really. So we answered him, yeah, your grandparents will get you a new bike. And they did. And he loves it. Because that's what grandparents are for. And one other thing he asked for for his birthday, can I have a mobile phone? And no. Can I have a mobile phone, Dad? Necessity? Comfort? Luxury? I said, son, you can't have one when you're 18. Not a chance. Why? Who does a seven-year-old need to phone? Like, seriously. Not a chance. Not a hope. Why? Because I love my son and I want to protect him and I don't want him sitting on a mobile phone. Not a chance. He's also starting to ask for a dog. Again, not a chance. Not a, no, it's not. And you see what? I want to say this to some of you because I have a feeling what might happen here. If one of you arrive at my house with a puppy, I will find where you live and I will bring 15 stray cats to your house and I will leave them there. Do not do that. You will be excommunicated and, and thrown out of heaven, okay? That is, you're not getting to heaven if you do not bring a dog. He said, I'll clean up after. I said, you don't clean up after yourself. Not a chance. Oh, <laughs> you lot. Oh, let's say I'm going home. I'm just, I'm going home. I've had enough. But when he asks for luxuries, do I beat him? No, not most of the time. No, I don't. It's okay to ask. But it's okay for me to say no. God's the same. He doesn't beat us when we ask. But it's okay for him to say no. He's our father. He knows what's best for us. And it's about our motives. What's your motive? Because look at what it says in the Bible. When when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get in your pleasures. This is really the bottom line. It's saying what's going on in your heart. What's your motivation? Is it greed? Is it materialism? Is it impressing the neighbors? Is it keeping up with the Joneses? Is it boosting your ego and showing off? Or is it just something that you would really like to have? Like a family trip to Disneyland is a luxury. But there's nothing wrong with it. It's something that would be lovely for some of you to have. So if you're like, I would love to bring my kids or my grandkids to Disneyland. A nice car, if you really like cars. Nothing sinful about it. A better house in a nicer area or a bigger house or a beautiful piece of jewellery or a dress, that new dress or an 11 phone, uh, iPhone 11 plus Max Space Gray 512. Uh, whatever it is, as long as it's not sinful or harmful, I think it's okay to ask God for luxuries. With the understanding 
that you're deeply thankful if just your needs are met. Because not my will, but yours be done. Again, it all comes back to how we see God. Because I know in Northern Ireland, we have been brought up, many of us, with this view of a mean, stingy, tight, angry God. A God who just wants you to just have enough. And he doesn't want you to laugh. He doesn't want you to have joy. Like honestly, some of you say to me regularly, I never laughed in church until I came here. As if God is some sort of killjoy. God created laughter. The Bible says God laughs in one of the Psalms. That'll wreck your theology, some of you. God is happy. It says in, in First Timothy, the blessed God, that word blessed means happy. The glorious gospel of the happy God. He's, he's happy. He's not grumpy. He's our father. He's happy. He's good. And, and, and Northern Ireland, I don't think there'll ever be a danger of us getting caught up in the prosperity gospel. The biggest danger for us is a poverty gospel. Where we believe God is just mean and just wants us just, just to have enough. Imagine if I said to Elijah, Elijah, I just want you just to have enough your whole life. That's not being a good father. Our God is so good. He's so lavishly generous. He's so kind. He's so abundant. He's so faithful. He's so loving. He's so merciful. He's just, you know. And then the other mentality sometimes is this, well, if I get it, somebody else will do without. Remember that time when they used to bring out the apple tart after dinner and everybody would get a bit and there was one slice left. And you'd all be looking at it and looking at each other. You'd all be thinking, I want it, but if I take it, they'd all think I'm selfish. And it sits there and eventually somebody takes it. Or you. Like sometimes we think God's like that, you know? Well, if God bless, I mean, I've got enough. If God blesses me, the wee children in Africa won't have anything. Or if God blesses me, my neighbor, I want to say to you that if you get the last slice of apple pie, God has 56 more apple pies in the kitchen waiting. And he's got a thousand more that he can make. Like, it is not, God has not got limited resources. It's not that if God blesses you, somebody else misses out. He's God. It all belongs to him. The cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible says, belong to him. He just makes more pies. Psalm 37, 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you your basic needs. He'll give you the desires of your heart. But what's the, what's the prerequisite? Delight yourself in the Lord. Jesus said just shortly after his teaching about prayer in Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All these things, not just necessity. But what's the prerequisite? That you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so the question is this, where is your heart? Is God first? Are you surrendered to his will? Is he Lord of your life? Are you generous with what you already have? Because if you're not, why would he give you more? If you're stingy and tight and miserable already, don't be expecting the Lord to bless you. He won't. Why would he? Why would he give you more so you can be stingy and tight and miserable with more? The Bible actually makes that clear. It actually says this. In, in Proverbs, it says, One gives freely, it grows all the richer, another withholds what he should give, 
and only suffers want. If you hold on to what you have, your hands closed and he can't put anything in it. But if you release what you have, he's able to fill it. It all comes down to trust. Do I trust God? Do I trust God to provide for me today? Notice it says, give us this day our daily bread. Not this week or not this month. I would rather it said that because I would like the, the security of knowing I've got enough. It's today will you trust God. Today will you be generous. Today will you believe that God is able to provide for you. Today will you depend on God as your source. Today will you look to God for all that you need. Now there's nothing wrong with planning and savings but some of us are so stingy and hold on to what we know we should give because of fear of tomorrow. And God is saying trust me for today and then tomorrow trust me for that day. Then the next day trust me for that day. The real question is always do I trust God? This phrase give us this day our daily bread would immediately have made the first followers of Jesus think about something. They would have thought about Exodus 16 when God brings his people out of slavery in Egypt and they come into the desert and they're hungry. In fact, they're not just hungry, they're hangry and they start to complain and they start to moan and grumble and, and, and they start to say, did you just bring us out for us to starve here? And God says, I'm going to test my people here. I'm going to test you. He says, I'm going to send manna every day. Every morning when you get up, there's going to be manna. There's food on the ground for you to eat. But here's the thing, you're to gather just enough for that day. What he's saying is, I'm testing to see your trust. Apart from one day a week, the day before the Sabbath, gather enough for two days. Will you trust me? And it actually says in Exodus that some people gathered twice as much than they needed. In other words, they were gathering for the day on tomorrow because they didn't trust. And when they went the next day, it had turned to maggots. And some people didn't gather for the Sabbath two days, but they didn't gather double because they just started to presume and they got there on the Sabbath and there was nothing there. The whole issue was not, it was all about obedience and trust and it's the same with us. God is saying, will you obey me? Will you trust me? Because that, he, these people have been slaves. They've come out of slavery in Egypt. Slaves survive on the bare minimum. Slaves are driven by fear. Slaves don't know who to trust and God is saying, will you trust me? I'm generous. I'm your father. You're not slaves. You're sons and daughters. It's not about how much you have or don't have. It's about how much you trust God. I know some poor people who are so generous. Some of the most generous people I know don't have much. And I also know some poor people who are really stingy. And I know some rich people who are so incredibly generous. And I know some rich people who are really stingy. It is not about how much money you have. It's about how much money has you. It's about the place it has in your heart. Because didn't Jesus say where your treasure is, there is your heart. And it's about recognizing that everything comes from him. He is your source. He is your provider. And you say, well, actually, Craig, he's not. I go out and work. I'm my source. And I would say to you, who gave you the breath and the brains and the body to go out and work? He did. It all belongs to him. I heard a story about a woman who's getting a flight. And she's at the airport and she goes into the shop and buys a bag of Maltesers and she sits down and there's a man sitting beside her and the Malteser bag's in the middle and it's open. And she's sitting there and what happens? The man, the stranger beside her, reaches across and takes a Malteser out of the bag. 
And she looks at him. And he smiles and nods at her. And she goes, About five minutes later, the guy reaches across and does the same. She grabs three out of the bag. This keeps happening. She is getting irate. She is getting furious until there's only one Malteser left in the bag. The tension is unbearable. What does the man do? He picks up the bag and says, do you want the last one? She is fit to be tied. She snatches the bag off him, puts it and storms off as her flight's about to leave. She goes through the gate, gets on the plane, sits down, reaches in to get a book. What's in her bag? A full bag of Maltesers. They were his all along. It all belongs to him. We think we're giving him something when actually it all belongs to him in the first place. And when we give and when we serve and all of that stuff, we're just giving him back what he's given. Once we settle that in our heart, who's, who, do, who does it belong to? Who owns it all? That really helps us. It all belongs to him. Everything we are and everything we have comes from him. And so when we pray, we're saying, God, it all comes from you. And so, God, I'm going to pray for my needs to be met because it all comes from you. And, God, I'm even going to pray for some comforts because you're my father and it all belongs to you. And, God, I'm even going to dare to pray for some luxuries because it all comes from you. But whether you give me my comforts and whether you give me my luxuries, I know you'll give me my necessities. And the other two, they're just a bonus. But no matter what, thank you, God. For I have learned to be content, whether in plenty or in need. And I have learned that not my will, but your will be done. And this has been a journey I've been on. I want you to know this. This hasn't always been easy for me. I'm going to wrap up in two minutes. I've struggled with this for many years, folks. I've never really talked much about it. I'm not, I'll, and I'll talk maybe more about For many years of my Christian life, I struggled with money and giving. Even after as ordained. I spent my 20s in significant debt, in credit card debt. I'd taken a credit card out in my early 20s when I went to America for a few years with a £10,000 credit limit on it, and they spent every penny of it at 23% interest. And I spent most of my 20s in debt, and I, that's why I said I can't give, I can't tie. There was always a reason, but I was able to go to America a couple of times a year. And no matter how much I got, it was like I had holes in my pockets. But I didn't know how to be generous. I didn't know. I just I was always trying to hold on to what I had. And I, I never felt like enough, and I was always afraid. Of, I just Money was just, it had my heart. It really had my heart. On my second or third year in Lurgan as a curate, the minister there gently challenged me because he looked at the given books and realized that I hadn't been given much. And he gently challenged me about tithing. And so I, I just started to do it. I just said, God, I have to trust you in this. And, it's, and, and I started to tie, and it broke the back of that stingy spirit, that, that fearful spirit probably more that I had around money. It broke the back of it. But then as I began to, you know, you begin to learn 
the joy of generosity? That there's actually a joy in giving. There's actually a joy in not just giving your tithe and counting it out to the penny, but I, I love that we're a generous church. I love being able to be generous. Like I was with somebody on Friday and they told me that they're going on their 20th wedding anniversary to, 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 to Dublin next month. And I immediately just thought, you know, I have a bunch of euros in my drawer there from my holidays. I'd love to anonymously just send them to them. There. And I don't say that to because I've really struggled with it for years. But then you start to think of ways to be generous. And it's just, it brings joy to your heart. I was with Judith Cairns on Friday, from, who's the chief executive of Love for Life. We give them £200 every month. And she said, Craig, will you thank your church so much for their generosity? That's your money, folks. It keeps us. And she told me how much churches in total across the whole of Ireland give. And we were a fairly big proportion of that. And I said, oh, you know what? It was only meant to be for 2008. 19, I said, the management team have just said we'll continue to 2020. And her face lit up. She said, thank you so much. Tell your church the difference it makes. I love that we are able to be generous. The only reason we can be generous and we give to Aspire and we give to Youth for Christ and we support an orphanage in Uganda and all of that, it's because you're generous. And there's a joy in generosity. And God took me on this journey of trust and the biggest challenge came in our last year in Dublin because by that stage we were, we were in a comfortable place. Becky had a, a, a really the best job she's ever had. She'd wanted it for four years and she got it in her, in her last year there. The church was doing well. at seven staff. It was just things were going well. And yet God began to challenge us that it's time to move on. It's time to move on. And so my, I kept praying, God, would you open a door for us? Would you open a door for us to go somewhere next? Because in the Church of Ireland, that's what happens. You move from church to church to church to church. You retire, then you die. Okay, that, that's kind of how we work in the Church of Ireland. So I was like, God, would you open? And nothing was opening up. And in 2016, around April time, I was praying. Early one morning. And I was saying, God, would you open a door? And I had a vision. And I know that sounds spiritual. Guys, can I say in 29 years of being a Christian, I've had two visions, okay? So it's not like every morning Cooney has a vision, okay? Like most mornings, I'm just dead to the world. But, but I had a vision, and it was, the most, one of, it was the most vivid vision I've ever had. And here was the vision. So I'm praying, God, will you open a door for us? And in the vision, and some of you will have heard parts of this before, I, I don't know. Um, in the vision, a prison door opens, and I'm released. Craig, you're free to go. And I walk out of the prison and I walk along the corridor and in my head I've one question. Will there be anybody waiting on the other side? Will there be anybody waiting on the other side? I have to keep walking. And I get downstairs and I go into the courtyard and there's a big metal gate and I'm thinking, will there be anybody waiting on the other side? Will there be anybody waiting on the other side? And this big metal gate slides across. And there's a car full of people with smiling faces on the other side. And then I came out of the vision like that. And as we talked about it and prayed about it, we both realized God was saying, I'm opening a door, but it's not for where you're going. I'm opening a door to release you from where you are. I'm opening a door to release you from the assignment that you are. And you have to walk forward in faith, and you won't know what's at the other side, but will you trust me? Will you trust me to keep walking? 
within two weeks, we had both handed in our notice. We were due to go on sabbatical anyway for four months. But we decided, look, rather than go on sabbatical and come back and leave, we're just going to leave before the sabbatical and let them find somebody else. We go on sabbatical. We go to the States. And praying, God, will you open a door? Nothing's opening up. The end of our time in the States comes. We've still a month of sabbatical left. Our money's running out. We just had, we'd been given money for the sabbatical by a private individual. Our money's running out. What do we do? God, will you open? Nothing's opening up. I'm trying to trust God. God, you told me there'd be somebody waiting on the other side. There's nothing opening up. So we, we, we just think, what will we do? We have no home. Our little boy's about to start preschool. Run out of safe. And I, as a husband and father, I feel the weight of providing for my family. I don't take things like I'm not reckless like that. Anyone who knows me knows I'm not. And so I began to get worried and stressed. And we, and, and, and we, and we just think, what will we do when we go home from here? And we're in America. And we say, well, let's rent a house in Port Stewart. I often joke, but it's partly true. My theory was if you're unemployed, Port Stewart's as nice a place to walk the streets as anywhere. Do you know what I mean? And so we go on Gumtree. And we rent a house from Gumtree, a little house in Port Stewart. And we come home with a month of sabbatical left. And I'm starting to stress. I'm, I mean, I'm trying to have faith. I'm going, God, you give me... I, and then two weeks of our sabbatical are left, and I'm starting to stress, and I'm starting to worry, and I'm starting to panic. And I need to work. I don't do well not working. And I'm starting to really get anxious about this. And then the last week of our sabbatical comes. We're running out of money. We've rent to pay. And I'm stressing. And on the last week of our sabbatical, I thought, I'm going to turn on my old mobile phone that I had in Dublin. I hadn't had it on all summer. I didn't knew you came. Just in case. And I turn it on and immediately the screen flashes and there's a text message from Alan Scott, the pastor of the Cosby Coast Vineyard. He texted me just the day before. Saying, Craig, do you want to meet for a coffee? Got back. Met him the next day for a coffee. Met him three kings in Port Stewart. He sits across from me. He says, Craig, um, do you want to come on staff at the vineyard? I said, doing what? He said, well, teaching and preaching, but why don't you write your own job description? Okay. Do you want to work full time? I said, honestly, probably two thirds. He said, well, what about Becky? Does she want to come and work in the vineyard? I said, doing what? He said, well, why don't you have her write her own job description? Okay. And as this goes on, this is all great. And then this thought crosses my mind. Is this a volunteer position? <laughs> and and so I, I, thought, I said, Alan, this is great. I just, I just need to check. Are there finances available to pay us? And he said this. He said, Craig, four months ago before you went on sabbatical, the directors of the vineyard met. We were discussing lots of stuff, but in that meeting I felt prompted to stop and say this to the directors. Why don't we set aside a full-time salary so that if Craig and Becky Cooney ever were to move to this area, we have a salary waiting for them and we will be able to provide jobs for them and we won't even have to have another meeting before we do it. Four months before he asked me, at the very start of our sabbatical, not long after the vision, of the car waiting on the other side. A bunch of people met in the north coast and God had it all covered. 
And there I was stressing and anxious. And he had it all covered. And I want to say to you, he's got it covered. It'll not be the same as mine. But he's got it covered. Whatever it is that's keeping you awake at night, I want to tell you, he's got it covered. And it might come down to the last minute. And it might feel like he's not going to come through. But I want to tell you, he's got it covered. Why? Because he's your father. In heaven. Holy is his name. His kingdom come, his will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And may he give you and may he give us our daily bread. And Lord, we trust you for the necessities. But Lord, would we also give us some things that are comforts. And even, we may even dare to ask for a luxury. But not my will, but thy will be done. Let's pray together.